This is Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll within, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Hey, everybody. Sorry I'm late. It's the way it goes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time, and we thank you that uh, you're always on time. Uh, I pray, God, now, uh, as we turn to your word, that you would quiet our hearts before you, that you would um, speak to us, and not only that you would speak to us, but that you would allow us to hear you and to see you. I pray, God, that we would not leave this place unchanged because we have had an encounter with the living God. We thank you that you love us. We love you, and we ask that you would help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, how's everybody doing? Good. Good. I'm, I'm doing the, uh, I think you heard, the, the Granny White East, Granny White uh, trifecta, and here we go. Uh, here's, here's what's, um, I mean, it's good news for me. I don't know about for you. I had severe time constraints in my first two sermons, but I got nothing after this, so... <laughs> Uh, here we go. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's roll. Um, we are in, obviously, Revelation chapter 5. Uh, I'm Gary Anderson. I am the pastor here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White. So glad that you could be with us this morning. Uh, if you are new or visiting this morning, I just want to extend a special welcome to you. I know that it is not easy to visit a church or to be a visitor or a new person in a church. And so if that's you, my hope and prayer is that you will find this to be a really loving, really welcoming place where you will encounter the living God. We're doing uh, our series this fall, preaching through the book of Revelation, which um, we have kind of set that up and I've talked a lot about with like, 
it's big and it's weird and it's scary and it's confusing and here we go. And what I hope you're finding, because it's what I'm finding as we're now five or six weeks into this, is I think I overblew that a little bit. Like it is weird and there's some confusing stuff, but really Revelation is a beautiful book that teaches us the same thing in just a different way that the rest of this, the Bible teaches us it. Uh, and it's really kind of awesome to see how God reveals himself through the images, pictures, symbols, and stories that we get in Revelation, and we're gonna get more of that today. So uh, before we dive into the text, can I ask you, or I, I asked in the first service and someone answered, and it was the wrong one, so maybe I won't ask, but I wanna talk about one of the most uh, misused words in our vernacular that we use frequently. And I said, you know, what's one of the most mis words, mis misused words we have? And someone in the front row goes, bro. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's very convicting because I use that word all the time. Um, and this is also convicting because the next word I'm gonna say I use all the time too, but I think one of the most misused words we have is unbelievable. We use that word all the time. I don't know if you saw the finish of the Ohio State Notre Dame game last night. Unbelievable. I'm from Ohio, let's go. Uh, when you go on vacation, and one of your kids gets sick. Unbelievable, <laughs> right? When you get dumped by someone you really liked. Unbelievable. When you lose a job that you liked, or maybe you didn't like, but you needed it. Unbelievable. Some of us have had the experience of sitting in a doctor's office and hearing a, a, a word or a diagnosis that we never thought we would hear. And we wanna say that's unbelievable. But here's the thing about all the things that we say unbelievable about. It's not true, right? It's not unbelievable because it's real. It happened. What we're really saying is what? It's hard to believe. Not that it's unbelievable. We're saying that it's hard to believe. And that cuts both ways because um, there are, like, it's not all bad things that are unbelievable. There are good things that are unbelievable too. Some of you here today, you might have a job that you love that is life-giving, that is everything you hoped it would be, that you don't feel like they, you, they should even have to pay you to do it, but they do. And if that's you, we would love to hear from you uh, at some point. <laughs> but if that's your situation, you might think about that as this is unbelievable. Some of you might uh, have spent you know, some portion of your life hoping and dreaming that you might be one day married to somebody. And some of you might be sitting here today and be like, the person that I am married to is more than I ever could have hoped. Uh, I had someone say amen in the first service, so just, just so you know. <laughs> and you might, yeah, there's somebody. There's somebody, that's, that's a good afternoon. Um, you might think this is, un, this is unbelievable. Uh, you might, when you look in the rearview mirrors of your life and look at who you are relative to where you grew up and where you came from and what you've been through, you might look at your circumstances today and think, this is unbelievable. Why I am so excited to teach Revelation chapter five today is because the message out of Revelation chapter five is something that every one of us, if we really were to grasp what it is teaching, we would wanna say, that is unbelievable. But here's the beauty, just like all these things that we just talked about, it is not that it's unbelievable, it's just that it's hard to believe. So here's what we're doing today. Uh, 
You know, some of you may not know this. There are five, there are six Midtown churches, congregations, and we all preach through the same series at the same time. And so two weeks ago, all the other congregations uh, had Revelation chapter five, but we didn't because we had that big transition service outside under the tent. And so the, the, in the great providence of the Lord, all the other congregations are returning to chapter five today. And so we're going to hit it for the first time. They're looking at just kind of the last few verses of it, but, but because we missed it the first time around, we're going to do all of chapter five, which you have already heard read. And why I am excited about this is because if you were with us last week and I said that Revelation chapter 11 was the the meat of what was revealed, it was the central idea of what the revelation to John is all about, Revelation chapter 5 is the central vision of the whole book. You cannot, this is not not my idea, I'll give credit where credit is due, another scholar said this, but it's true. You cannot understand the rest of the book of Revelation unless we understand what John sees in Revelation chapter five. So this series we're calling Reframing Reality because we believe that Revelation, as kind of weird and different and scary as it might be, is actually giving us a picture of what is really real. And the picture that we are going to get today is undoubtedly the best news that any of us have ever heard. So I wanna draw three things out of Revelation chapter five as we sit in it today. And the first is this, the gospel is hard to believe. The gospel is hard to believe. And uh, let's just keep that real because God's word keeps it real. So come back with me to chapter five, starting in verse one. What does it say? Then I saw, uh, sorry, let me just catch us up to where we're at. Revelation chapter one, John gets a vision, island of Patmos, he's in exile. Jesus visits him, says, here is a vision. I want you to send it to the seven churches. Revelations two and three are the seven messages to the seven churches. But as we've said many times, it's not just for seven churches 2,000 years ago. It's for all of Jesus Christ's church. So Revelation is for the whole church. After we get the messages to the churches, Revelation chapter 4, John sees a door opened in heaven and he is brought up into the heavenly throne room. He, he is brought into the presence of God Almighty, sees God on the throne, elders and creatures around, worship is going on, and that brings us to chapter five. He's still in the heavenly throne room, still catching a vision of God the Father, and this is what it says, verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. So uh, we don't know exactly what was written on this scroll, but we have a a pretty good idea of what we think it probably represents. That scroll represents God's plan for creation. Uh, One scholar says it's God's achievement, which is a funny way of talking about it, but it is is God's plan and purpose for all all of eternity, for all of creation. It is his plan of salvation, redemption, and his his bringing of the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth and overtaking it. It is God's plan for creation. And so then we get to verse two, and a strong angel says with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? What is that question asking? Who can achieve God's plan? Who can achieve God's purpose? Who can do what God has foreordained since the beginning of time? Who can bring God's kingdom to earth? And then we get to verse three, and the answer is no one. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. This strong angel says, who can achieve God's plan? Who can achieve God's purpose? And the answer from every corner of creation is what? Crickets. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. 
And what happens in verse 4? John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. I think this is one of the most poignant scenes, not only in the book of Revelation, but in all of Scripture. Why? Who is John? Not every scholar. Most scholars believe that this is the beloved disciple. So this is the John who was in Jesus' inner circle of the three uh, disciples he was closest with. Uh, This is the John who wrote the Gospel of John. This is the John who spent three years of his young life walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, living with Jesus, not just watching him do ministry, but experiencing ministry with Jesus. This is the John who saw Jesus uh, give sight to blind people, cleanse lepers, help lame people walk. This is the Jesus he saw raise people from the dead. This is the Jesus that he saw crucified dead and buried himself raised back to new life on the third day before he ascended into heaven. This is the John who heard Jesus say, I am coming back soon. And then he watched him bodily ascend into heaven. That's the John. Now, there are some scholars who don't think it's the the John, the beloved disciple. It's a different one. Even if it's a different John, he in all likelihood either knew the disciples personally or knew people who knew the disciples personally. He would have had the majority of the New Testament available to him. Whichever the John is that is writing this, he knows the story. He knows the deal. He knows who Jesus is and was and claimed to be. And here is John, assuming it's the beloved disciple, 60 years later, we believe Jesus uh, died and rose and ascended in the AD 30s. Here he is in the AD 90s. He's catching this vision of, of God. And what has happened over the last 60 years? Nothing but frustration, disappointment, and unfulfilled expectations. He's like, Jesus said he was coming back soon. It's 60 years later, and I still haven't seen him. And here I am in exile on this island, and I'm, I'm close to dying, and I've watched all my friends suffer. Some of them have been killed for their faith in Christ. The churches that I planted are suffering. The Roman Empire is destroying us. Everything feels pretty dark and pretty hopeless. And here is this John brought into the heavenly kingdom, or heavenly throne room. He is, he is brought into the presence of God the Father. He sees the scroll. The angel asks, can anyone open the scroll? And the answer is no one. And what happens to John? He loses it. And what does that weeping represent? Like, have you, have you ever heard a grown man weep? You will never forget it. The, the Greek here is it's the, most, uh, the most bitter form of grieving. It says, other, other translations says, he wept bitter, I wept bitterly. Why do grown men weep? Because all feels lost. It may not be, but it all feels lost. M- grown men weep at, at major inflection points in their life. And here is John. When, when the angel said, who is worthy to open the scroll? John should have been like, oh, I know, Jesus, he's my guy. Like, Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. But even there, even in the presence of God the Father, even in the heavenly throne room, John feels hopeless. His faith is wavering, and he's doubting. Because the gospel is hard to believe. My freshman year in college, uh, I went to a school outside of Chicago called Wheaton. I lived in the Cleveland, Ohio area. I drove that stretch of I-80 between Illinois and Ohio 7,000 times. Uh, But one of the first times was uh, coming home for Christmas my freshman year. And uh, I left school after my last exam, so it was late afternoon, knew it was going to be a late night. Um, 
But I was in college and I stayed up late all the time anyway, so no big deal. Today I'm like, I would never drive that late. It's too, too dangerous. <laughs> um, as I'm kind of skirting around the city of Chicago, I think it's 294, the snow starts coming down. Now this is the fall, winter of 2000, so there's no iPhones, there's no weather apps, there's no uh, nothing like that. So it's just me and my 91 Chevy Cavalier, baby blue, and the snow is coming down and it's coming down and then it keeps coming down. And by the time I hit the Indiana border, I'm in a full blown blizzard. And that, that little car was not made to drive in blizzards. So it's like, I'm driving behind you know, the trucks, trying to stay in the tracks that they're making in the middle of the snow that the plows aren't even able to keep up with. And as I hit Gary, Indiana, which at that time, and I don't know if it still is, that stretch of highway, I-80 at Gary, Indiana was one of the most dangerous stretches of highway in the whole country. More accidents there than almost anywhere else. As I hit that stretch, the lights in the car start to flicker. My check engine light comes on. The battery light comes on. It starts to shudder. And I'm like, this, this bad boy is about to shut down. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just a child. I'm 18. I shouldn't have even been allowed to drive. And I... <laughs> I barely am able, I, I, I'm able to get it off to the side of the road literally as it dies. I get it onto the shoulder of the highway. And I kid you not, as it dies, there's an Indiana State Trooper not 10 feet in front of me. And, and he, was, he had pulled somebody over, he was helping somebody else or something out, and he, he gets out of his car and he comes back to me, snow is going sideways, he's mad, because he's like, he's a State Trooper, he's mad. And <laughs> sorry, that was wrong. If, if you are a state trooper, we love you, and that is, we're gonna have to cut that from the re recording. But when he saw, when I rolled down my window and he saw the fear in my face, it was like everything changed. And I was like, my car just died. And he was like, it, he could not have been better. He was like, don't worry, buddy, I got you. He goes, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm not making this up. Like, this is not potty humor. That's literally how the story went. He goes, I gotta go to the bathroom, so I'm gonna go to the next exit and I will come back for you, don't go anywhere. And I'm like, where am I? my car's dead, where am I gonna go? <laughs> so he leaves, and again, I'm telling you, this is, a, this is a Midwestern blizzard, and it is not 60 seconds before I feel like I'm in a little coffin, right? Like, the snow is so thick, the engine, the car is off, so it's totally dark, it's pitch black, it is freezing cold, he is not the only one who had to go to the bathroom in that moment, and, <laughs> And I'm telling you, it, it was probably 15 or 20 minutes and it felt like six hours. And I cannot tell you how quickly I began to lose hope that he was gonna come back. I'm like, was that just like, hey, I'm actually gonna go see my family and like, just, you know, sorry man, you're on your own. Uh, it was just a nice way to get out of an uncomfortable situation. What, you know, the, who knows if he got in an accident, who knows what other problems there were that he might've been called to. And, and I'm like, do I need to get out and walk? Do I need to get out and try and flag somebody down? I'm sitting in this dark little car and I can hear the trucks going by at 65 miles an hour. And I'm just like, I'm too young for this. Like, I'm trying to figure out how do I get word to my mom that I love her. And, and, and I kid you not, right as I'm about to get out and start trudging through the snow in my sneakers, here come the flashing lights behind me. And he came back and, and I'll, you know, I can tell you the rest of the story some other day. It is really easy to lose hope really quick. Have you ever been there? Have, have you ever doubted what you believe? Have you ever wondered if this is really real? Have the, have the circumstances of your life ever made you question at the deepest part of your heart and of your soul 
whether all the stuff that this book says is really true and whether it's really going to happen. Have you ever wondered, do I really believe what I say I believe? If you have, I just want to say this morning, welcome to the club. Like, come on in. The water is fine. Because here is the beloved disciple John in the presence of God in the heavenly throne room. And he is wrestling with fear and doubt as to whether his faith was placed in the right thing. He is wrestling with, is, is Jesus really powerful enough? Is he really worthy enough? And so if we ever are become a community, if we ever become a place where it is not safe to wrestle with fear and doubt and, and wrestle with your faith, I will tap out really quickly. Because not only do we welcome it, but God does. Just go spend some time in the Psalms and you will see that you, they will put words to emotions that you didn't think were appropriate to speak to God. And the reason for all of this is not because we just want to be like some wishy-washy, well, I'm not sure what I say. The reason for all of this is because on its surface, the gospel seems like something that is too good to be true. It is hard to believe. And so that's the second point I want to draw out of this text is this. Not only is it hard to believe, why is it hard to believe? Because the gospel is upside down. The gospel is hard to believe because it's upside down, and that's exactly what we see in the next two verses. So pick me back up in the text, verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What, we just gotta pause there for a second. What is John hearing when he hears this? He knew his Old Testament, and for every other a Jewish, Gentile convert, whatever, anyone in that time who's getting this letter from John who know their Old Testament, when they hear Lion of Judah, Root of David, what are they thinking? Here comes the power. Because David was the greatest king in Israel's history. How did David deal with Israel's enemies? He dominated them. He was a man of war. And, and he subdued everyone who stood against Israel and stood against the God of Israel. And when David was king, God made a promise that one day someone would come from his line who would be like him and he was gonna be the savior of his people. And so since the time of David, the Israelite people, they were waiting for a Messiah who was gonna be the root of David, who was gonna come from David. And because he was gonna come from David, he was gonna be like David. And so they were waiting for a conquering, militaristic king who was gonna dominate his enemies. And so when the elder tells John, hey, the lion of Judah can open the scroll. The lion of Judah, the, the root of David is here. He's like, here we go. And then verse six, so that's what he hears, but what does he see? Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. There's two words for lamb in Greek. One means lamb, one means little lamb. This is the word for little lamb. He looks at the throne and he sees Mary's little lamb standing as though it had been slain. He hears there is a lion, and what does he see? A lamb, a lamb who was slain. Who is the one who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is the one who is powerful enough to achieve God's purpose for all of creation? The lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. Where is Jesus' power found? This is echoes of kind of what we talked about last week. Where is his power found? Not in his rising up, but in his stepping down. Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the form of a servant. How does Jesus conquer? By dying. 
And I don't know about you, but if I was the one in charge, that is not how I would have set this whole deal up. So when you come to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that he is the one who is worthy to open the scroll and you're like, I struggle with this sometimes, that is why. Because it is not how we expect it to go. It is upside down. I love how Bruce Metzger, New Testament scholar, says this. He says about the scene in verses five and six, instead of a ferocious lion that hurts others, the Messiah is a sacrificial lamb that takes into himself the hurts of others. Instead of a lion that hurts others, the Messiah is a sacrificial lamb that takes into himself the hurts of others. So the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the one who is worthy to achieve God's purpose does not come and destroy his enemies. He comes and takes the hurts of his enemies onto himself. That seems like it's too good to be true. Every couple of weeks, I get an email, and my guess is many of you uh, get this, a similar email to this as well. It is from an accountant in Brussels, <laughs> and he is working with a very wealthy client in Africa <laughs> who has uh, chosen five people at random to give away $10 million each out of his incredible benevolence, and my name has been selected. And if I would just respond to this email, he would be happy to get the transaction started. And if I can just, if I can just keep it real with you for a moment. Every time I get that email, I take about 30 or 60 seconds and I just let myself imagine that it's true. Because do you know the joy that would bring me? Look, I know money's the root of all evil and all that stuff, but do you know what that would do for my life? What that would do for my lifestyle? What that would do for my mortgage? What it would do for my children and their education and like all of that. But I only give myself a minute and then I stop. And I gotta bring myself back to reality, why? Because this is something we all know. If something seems like it's too good to be true, it probably is. And it is very hard for us not to import that into everything that we learn in this book and in Revelation chapter five, because here is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not, this is, uh, C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, mankind is not an imperfect creature that needs a little bit of improvement. He says, mankind is an open rebel who must lay down his arms. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that, hey, uh, we're just a little bit, we're a little bit dirty, we're a little bit messed up, and if we just got a little bit of help, a little bit of self-improvement, then we could really become something. No, the message of the gospel is that for those of us who are in sin, which is all of us, we are in open rebellion against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And though we are in open rebellion against him, God does not look at us and say, I'm just gonna wipe you out. Or, or have fun figuring that out amongst yourselves and come fi find me when you get it figured out. The message of the gospel is that God does not say, clean yourself up and then we'll see if you've done good enough job to see if you're worthy of me. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that come to me as you are and I will clean you up. 
God loves us as we are. God sees us as we are. He loves us as we are. He saves us as we are, but he does not leave us as we are. And it's free. I mean, it, it's gonna cost you your life ultimately, but there's no like upfront charge. All you do is turn to him and say, I need you to save me. And he does it. And when we come and hear something like that, like the, this is the, the, the email from the benefactor in Africa alarms start going off because it like, that's, that seems like it's too good to be true, but it's not. And I have literally staked my whole life on it. And this room is full of hundreds of people who are right there as well, who have literally staked their whole lives on the, the belief that what this, uh, this passage of scripture is saying is true that there is one who is able to achieve God's purpose for all of eternity. And he is not a powerful, I mean, he is a powerful lion, but he is a little lamb who takes the fears and the hurts and the anxieties and the frustrations and the disappointments and the sin, not of his friends, but of his enemies, onto himself, and he kills them at the cross. The gospel is hard to believe because it seems upside down because it seems like it's too good to be true. But it is true. And here's the last thing I want us to draw out of this passage. When that becomes real to us, our first and primary response is worship. I, I initially, when I was working on this sermon, I initially said our only response is worship. But then I was like, no, that's not true. Because we have gratitude and we have thankfulness and we have remorse and we have like there's a lot of responses that we have when the gospel becomes true to us but i believe the first and primary and and uh overarching response to the message of the gospel is worship because that's exactly what we see in the rest of revelation chapter five so uh verse seven jesus goes the little lamb takes the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne verse eight when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. In Greek, that says they threw themselves down. And it says it again at the end of the passage in verse 14. Uh, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And they continue singing. And then jump with me to verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads. That's literally 10,000 by 10,000. But that was just the, the only, the highest number that Greek had a word for. And so it's not literally 10,000 by 10,000. It's, it's, it's literally a number that no one could possibly count. And this army of angels is saying in a loud voice, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders threw themselves down and worshiped. When the reality, when the realization that the little lamb is the one who is worthy to open the scroll becomes apparent, it is like an A-bomb goes off in the throne room of God and the reverberations go out in concentric circles throughout all of creation. The elders and the, and the creatures, you can read about it in chapter four, you should, they throw themselves down and worship and then the angels throw themselves down and worship and then all of creation 
begins to worship God. And here's the picture that is painted. This is not quiet, restrained, dignified. Let's make sure we get the intro music right and make sure we're all on key worship. This is an embodied, guttural, physical response, almost like a, uh, what's it called when they hit your knee? Like a knee jerk um, reaction. They are doing what they are, what, what, what the only thing they can possibly do when the reality of who Jesus is hits them. They are worshiping. This is what one of the commentators says about this. I love it, about this scene in Revelation 5. Nowhere else in the literature of worship will one find a scene of such unrestrained praise and adoration. With the handing of the scroll to the Lamb, we enter into one of the greatest scenes of universal adoration anywhere recorded. The primary response to the gospel is worship. Uh, This was probably, well, let me back up. So I, I grew up in church. Grew up in uh, typically very conservative churches. My grandfather was a pastor. We went to his church in the early years of my life. He preached in a robe. Uh, I'm not planning on bringing that back. Uh, and, and it was an organ, and we sang out of a hymnal. And I love hymns. Do, please don't let me get to the end of this, and you'll be like, well, he said hymns are bad. Love hymns. Uh, and most of the churches that we went to growing up were like that. And so, um, when I got into my young adulthood, I had a very specific idea of what worship was supposed to look like. Uh, you may have heard of the term chosen frozen. I was part of that because I had just a healthy skepticism of, you know, like praise and worship songs and like uh, motions or like embodied worship. Like that was emotionalism, right? Like why are we, why are we doing Frisbees in church? I don't know. And, and like raising hands, it was like, well, I, that's drawing attention to yourself, and that's not, that's not worship. And so I just, that, that's where I'm coming from. And so maybe 10 years ago, I went to a concert with my brother, and it was uh, my favorite band. They're not, uh, they're, they're not a Christian band per se, but I think there's some Christian guys in the band. And we had a great spot right down front. They're ripping through their set. I'm loving it. They get to one song that I love, and in the middle of that song, I'm just so into it, and all of a sudden, both my hands are in the air. And I'm like, my whole view of worship changed in that moment. Not because I was worshiping the band by any stretch. It's just there was something inside of me that wanted to physically respond to what I was feeling in that moment. And I was like, if I'm willing to do this at a rock concert, how much more so can I be able to do this in the presence of of worship of the living God? Uh, Listen. We are created to worship. It is not, worshiping is not something that we kind of tack on to the side of who we are. It is the core of what God created us to do. We were made to worship. I think it was Calvin who said, our hearts are little idol factories, and I love that, and someday we'll talk about that. But I would say, not to put myself on par with Calvin, but I would say, our hearts are also little worship factories because we were made to worship. And we see that everywhere because we are so willing to throw ourselves down in front of things that are lesser than God. Grown men and women will do things at a football game that they would never do in any other circle of society. Also at their kids' soccer games. I'm telling you right now, I said this to, uh, at our women's ministry on Monday night, If Taylor Swift walked through those doors right now, you would see an embodied physical response. (laughs) 
to the presence of someone in this room, right? So here's the deal. This is not a shame at all. This is not, so we need to do better at worshiping. I think we worship beautifully in this church, and I think our worship team leads us beautifully in this church. That is not what I am saying at all. You need to worship in the way that you feel God has led you to worship. But here's what I am saying. If the gospel is real, if this is real, if there is a lamb who was slain and he didn't come to destroy his enemies, but he came to take the hurts of his enemies onto himself and kill them at the cross so that we might be reconciled to God the Father, spend eternity in his presence, and one day he will return and make all things right. If that is true, if right now, in this moment, God is seated on the throne in heaven and there are elders and creatures and angels bowing down before him, throwing themselves down before him and worshiping him, if that is true, then every once in a while, might it be okay for us to let it rip when we are in worship? I would say the answer is yes. It is not, emo it's not emotionalism, it should be emotional. When we realize and recognize what God has done for you and for me. That word that they just repeat over and over again, worthy, 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 it means heavy. It, means, it, it literally means it, it has the ability to move the scale. Jesus Christ is the heavy one. He is the one who can do what no one else can do. And the, the, the first and primary response to that news is worship. All right, let's go home on this. So uh, one of my favorite scenes in all of scripture, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, in a few years, you're gonna be like, you have like a thousand favorite things in scripture. <laughs> and you're not wrong. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in scripture, we found it in Matthew 11 and Luke 7. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he's in prison. And he uh, sends his disciples to Jesus. And he has a question that he wants his disciples to ask Jesus. And some of you remember what that question is. He sends his disciples to Jesus and says, ask him this, are you the one or should we look for another? And that is a remarkable question when we know the trajectory of John the Baptist's life. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. When, when, Je, when Jesus was in Mary's womb and Mary went to visit Elizabeth, Mary, or John's mother, when she was pregnant with John, the Bible tells us that John leapt in his mother's womb when the presence of his Savior in utero came into his presence. Uh, John the Baptist is the one at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And what we know from scripture is that when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he was there with him when God the Father spoke audibly from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. John saw all of that. And here is John a few years later and he's in prison now. And he may or may not know it, but he's not getting out of prison. And what is happening to him as he is in prison? He's doubting. He's losing faith. He's like, this is not the Messiah I was looking for. This is not what I expected. This is not how I expected things to go. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one or should we look for another? What was he asking in that moment? Are you worthy? Are you the worthy one? And how does Jesus respond? I just love this. He doesn't say, come on, John, seriously? Like, don't you remember? Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Don't you remember when you baptized? He didn't say that. What does he say? You tell John what you see in here. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the poor have good news preached to him. What was he saying to John? 
don't let your current circumstances block your vision of the shore. Don't let your present circumstances undermine. Don't question in the dark what I showed you in the light. And scripture doesn't tell us how John responded, and so I gotta be really careful here, but I can't help but wonder, in light of what Revelation 5 teaches us, if when John received that message from his disciples right there in that prison cell, if he didn't just throw himself down on the ground and say, worthy. Worthy is the lamb. You are worthy.